0: Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Monday, uh, January 9th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander with me, and uh, when we last spoke on this podcast, which was, I believe last Thursday night, Norlander was getting ready to spend the weekend skiing, and then he tweets me, tweets us, on Friday, uh, and says he had the best story ever told me he would share it on the podcast. So before we get into actual college basketball stuff, and we will get into actual college basketball stuff, Norlander, tell me the best story ever. And, and oh,
1: The <laughs> best story. <I> just <laughs> Please I'll don't let me down. Okay, this is, I'll make this quick here so we can get into the hoops. Um, so, yeah, I, I went up to Vermont uh, to do a ski weekend with some buddies. And after we did our podcast, GP, I, I was so enthused by the podcast, so eager to ski – I had a really hard time trying to fall asleep. Couldn't really fall asleep. And then it started snowing in Connecticut, and I knew that was going to be brutal to try and drive at 4 a.m., so I decided to leave at like 2.30. I actually called Jeff Goodman, who was on the West Coast, and he kept me occupied for about 45 minutes on the phone. You talked to him Made up to I actually minutes. passed out at a red roof in parking lot at like 5 in the morning to try and sleep in my car for 30 minutes. That failed entirely. So uh, I was able to ski on Friday and not feel too brutal, which was fine. But by the time I get back to the house, uh, my buddies meet me there. I just want to take like a nap for like three hours, try and catch up, you know, get ahead of it, and uh, stabilize my body clock. So I finally go to lay down, and uh, it's all of I don't know three minutes, and I start hearing the voices of women outside. Okay. The, the house. Okay, let's go. Okay. So, so and I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? So I, I still, I'm like, well, oh, whatever. I'll, uh, I'll still try and sleep. So, ten minutes or so pass i I just you know I hear a conversation in in the living room um and i th- I think I hear what I think I hear, sure enough, I walk out, and the owner of the house has double booked the weekend <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's you um, and a bunch of women yeah i and, and my buddies as well so but of course, I'm married. Okay, then and, what uh, happened? Then what happened? And and then another then, one of my buddies is married, and he says to me, "Of course, why does this have to happen after I get married?" <laughs> and I, was, I was like, "Hey, man, I hear you." So then you. somebody so,
0: opened a bottle. Keep going.
1: It wasn't, and it wasn't just women. There was a there was a dude named Leon with them. You could have got out Leon out of the way. Shout out to Leon. Shout Leon out to Leon. Was, he was he was not in a good place. He was he was so <laughs> rattled that there were people in this house already. He like he was apparently the first person that my buddies saw. He like. He peeked his head through the window and kind of creeped everyone out, and then and then it got really weird in a hurry. And so then they all just decided to start playing flip cup and drinking to pass the time because the owner – the thing is, GP, is these houses get booked up months in advance, okay? So we're really wondering if it's – and the, the house can comfortably sleep eight, realistically sleep ten, and there were, what, six, seven of us, and – uh this other group four of them had showed up it was leon and three women and then apparently there was another four people coming another guy party dave who i never met but party dave was on the way with with some more women so what in the world and we were like where are you guys from what do you do and and they're all like yeah we met in boston we do we do a lot of volunteer charity work and we're like oh okay so you're much better people than all of us <laughs> okay <laughs> thanks thanks for that uh um, were they bad and, bees
0: or just okay
1: they, no they were they were they were fine I mean one of them apparently you know she went to Yale I mean I, I like, mean I mean were were they bad bees they were they were not necessarily the one of them seemed like a bad bee but <laughs> but for the most part so anyway so they start like and I'm dude I'm so exhausted at this point and i can't I can't get to sleep I'm going on like one hour of sleep in 30 hours or whatever they're they're blaring uh what God knows what hip-hop it wasn't anything great i tried I tried to put on the tribe album. And they weren't having it. And so they're, they're playing flip cup. They're calling the owner of the house. who can't get him a spot. He's like, I got you a condo. And they're like, we got eight pounds of meat to feed an army. We need a house. And you're paying for it. It got aggressive in a hurry. And um, the backstory, real quick is that the house. So basically the owner screwed up because we stayed in the same house that we stayed a year prior. And the owner did not realize that he had booked us in his head for the same exact weekend we stayed last year. And so he crossed his wires and ultimately the, the Leon and his crew, we were all like downstairs and there was like a loft upstairs. And at one point Leon hangs up the phone. He goes, okay, girls, get your stuff. We're going. And I looked at my buddy, I go, that sounded like a pimp right there. Actually, that was, that was <laughs> kind of aggressive. He was like, girls, get your stuff. We're going. But they got, they got an entire, hot tub house like really good house totally free because he screwed up they actually got the better deal but so they all get ready to leave and this was like four hours and dude i just want to go to sleep and it's and it was a weird social dynamic two very different groups of people they made it work whatever and um so then they all leave and uh, (coughs) um one of my buddies was kind of like jokingly smack talking the group being like dude they were kind of weird but we were going to make it what happen whatever and leon had walked back in to the house because his car had got stuck in the snow Jesus. and he drove like a two he had, he drove like a two wheel drive <coughs> excuse me nissan or something like that so it took all of us like 15 minutes to get him out jeez it was just <coughs> I'm dying here. It was a... Uh... <laughs> no, this sounds like a mess. <laughs> no, it's good, it's good. It was brutal. We're like in in the snow in Killington on a hill. He doesn't know how to drive. He doesn't know what he's doing. It was uh, some dude from a house across the street comes out with a big old bucket of dirt. It's like 9 o'clock at this point. I'm ready to die. Leon finally left. <laughs> it was just so bizarre. Dude, you you walk into a house and suddenly you think like, oh crap, what are we going to do? We're going to be stuck with you know 16 people in a house that that can sleep 10 we don't know what's gonna happen you gotta double up double up with the bad bees <sighs> i was actually kind of ready to double up if need be but it didn't quite get to that point and uh so that was it as in the you, midst of all of it it was extremely bizarre and i was like i gotta i gotta text pair
0: so. as you were as you were uh, uh telling the story about i was gonna tra-
1: start it by the way i was gonna start it, so i'm on the ski lift with devin downey I-
0: <laughs> so shout out to devin downey by the way uh shout out to terry teagle when you uh you said you were uh, trying to sleep and you hear weird voices in the living room. A house reminded me a few years ago. I was at the beach. Uh, one of my buddies, uh, high school buddies, was getting married and uh, getting married at the beach. And so we all rented a bunch of houses on the beach and we had uh, – in the house next door to our house was like you – know, you you'd look down on the beach behind that house and there were like these – very clearly a photo shoot happening like, like models in a photo shoot. And we're like, what is happening there? And and turns out, like, they were Russian models doing a photo shoot in the house next to us. And so we'd stayed up. Like, let's say the, the, the wedding was on a Saturday. We'd stayed up on that Friday night basically all night and, like, went to the wedding on little to no sleep. And so by the time the wedding was over and the reception was over, like – the. the the ones who weren't on drugs were ready to just pass out, and so I was, I was like, "Listen, I'm going to bed." They were like, "No, oh, we're gonna go, we're, you know, we're, we're gonna hang out." I said, like, "No, no, no, I, I gotta get to sleep. I barely slept yesterday. I'm, I'm dying. I'm, I'm going to bed." I said, "What are you guys gonna do anyway? It's like, to, it's like a midnight, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing going on here, and like, what, like, what are you, what are you guys trying to get into?" And one of my buddies says, "We're gonna go holler at those Russian models and get them to come over here." And I'm like, you think that's the way this works? Like, we, you're just gonna go holler at Russian models, and they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna pay it to like they care about you? Like, I like that didn't make any sense. I, I, I'm going to bed. Like, uh, I'll see you guys tomorrow. So I go to sleep, wake up to voices, Russian voices, at like daybreak. I wake up, and sure enough, somehow they convince the Russian models to come over. And they were all eating breakfast and, like, hanging out. They'd been hanging out all night with Russian models.
1: And you missed it.
0: I missed the whole thing. I went to sleep. I was like, I didn't think it was realistic that you could get the Russian models to the house. Otherwise, I would have tried to stay up. I just assumed it was going to be a, a failed mission. I never, I. I, I and it, it taught me a lesson. Always have confidence in, in your friends because you never know when they can get, they can lure Russian models over to uh, the house. I slept through the whole thing. One of the biggest regrets of my life.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. In those kind of situations, you never know what can happen. <laughs> Another one of my buddies, like two years ago, met this girl and we we're like, you're not going to get her to the house. You're not going to get her to the house. Got her to the house after he got her to the house. Found out she had a kid. Ooh. And, uh, you know, situation changes in a hurry like that. Well, so, you, uh, so yes, do? these things are very unpredictable. And I had buddies who lit- I'm dude, I'm thirty five. I got a kid. I, a couple of my buddies like went right into to seven in the morning. Like I was waking up to go skiing on Saturday. They had not gone to bed. Yeah. And these aren't dudes in college. Like they're past 30. I'm like, "How are you doing this?" Yeah, I don't not, even get it. Not usually. even remotely able or capable to do that anymore. Nah, not I can't, even close. I can't, but yeah. it was uh, it was fun, interesting, had a good time on the slopes and I I missed I will be 100% honest with you. I missed all of college basketball on Saturday. Because the one thing I was going to try and maybe watch a little bit of was NC State-UNC, and then that got postponed to Sunday. Right. So I was so thankful that I missed what was the latest Grayson Allen thing, which I guess – and I don't know if you want to start this or not, but I'm I'm leaning right into it. It is kind of a legitimate thing here because anything that happens with his feet, ankles, knees, and legs is going to be a thing. And so I saw you wrote a column on that. But in a way, like – you were dead on the money that the uh, the BC player didn't fall down because if he did, oh, oh, my God.
0: If he would have fallen down, even if he would have flopped and fallen down, um, it would have been a, like, if you think the reaction to Grayson Allen's latest thing was over the top, like, keep in mind what would have happened if the whistle would have blown and somebody would have actually fallen down, which could have very, like, you could have reasonably just fallen down if you wanted to, if you were the Boston College player, um, that he didn't, and this is sort of a point I made in the column, that he didn't fall down is like a massive favor to Grayson Allen. Because if he would – because no matter whether it was intentional or not, and I I don't think anybody can accurately uh, tell one way or another, um, not not definitively at least, um, if Grayson Allen – it was an unusual leg movement. We can all acknowledge that. It, it It was an unusual leg movement, and if that unusual leg movement would have resulted in a Boston College player falling down – there would have been people calling for Grayson Allen's dismissal. And I, I, I don't know that I would have agreed with it, but it would have happened. It would have been a very real
1: thing. Um, Yeah, If if I'm thinking like I'm watching the video. If that happened and he fell down, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you know what? People would be calling for him to be just kicked off the team. I don't think it would have happened. I don't think I would have agreed with that. Um, it, Oh, my gosh he might be lucky that this actually happened like this because I don't think that he is going to, I think he should be able to control his impulses here. This looks instinctual fighting through a screen. My leg gets up. There's a little bit of dream on there, but he's almost fortunate that this happened the way this happened because it's short of a trip but it's enough of a thing where he know like, I know that he was probably well aware of, of everything that he was doing regardless. But now he knows, like, there, there's no wiggle room. Any small thing that he does, unfortunately, is going to be something we have to talk about in the podcast. It's going to be something people are going to be discussing. And I am fully aware that there is a contingent that is so sick of Grayson Allen. I get it, but it doesn't. You know what? People say that people say that doesn't matter. People are interested. Yeah, look at. Well, you can say people are sick of it, but there's no evidence that they actually are Right. right. And then people that say that kind of stuff, while some of them, it might be true. At the same time, people love that they hate it and they'll still interact with it and respond to it. They love to say that they're sick of it. They you know, they love to get above the story. I'm so beyond this. But by doing that, you're still involving yourself. You're still being emotionally invested and being impacted by the story. So this isn't going to go away. I mean, it's just going to be something that, unfortunately, is going to be part of the college basketball season the rest of the way. And there are many other interesting things about Duke in general. We got to see what happens with Emil Jefferson's injury, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, if it just you know, it would have been DefCon one if. if if, uh, if he had fallen down and we had had another incident like that, and people would be calling for him to be kicked off the team. That, even, would, that would definitely be happening. Like, there
0: are even writers who say, I'm sick of it, but then write about it. Like, you know, but because it's it's the biggest story in college basketball. It just is. I don't know what that says about college basketball or what it says about the, the state of uh, sports media or, uh, or media I mean, consumption. Going on
1: a boat is the biggest story in the NFL, you know? Yeah. Like, sometimes these things just – It kind of sucks, but also they just have a way of taking on their own life, their own momentum, and then the story, you know, transforms into the actual act of tripping or going on a boat into the massive reaction to the reaction and are and then us discussing if we're overreacting well well, see the thing
0: the the thing about the nfl is that there's always the biggest story in sports is typically an nfl story like you know it it could be it could be the giants on a boat it could be anything like it could be actual football you know it's the nfl it's going to lead mike and mike every morning um it's going to be on all of those debate shows every day Uh, college basketball um and I, see, this is where I don't under I don't understand some of the reaction from people who cover college basketball. They like, I'm so sick of this. I can't believe, dude. This is the only way college basketball gets to the the front of the national conversation. Like, um, you know, Purdue can beat Wisconsin, and North Carolina can beat the crap out of NC State. Those things do not register. You know what? The CBS uh, this morning called me to talk about, and I don't mean CBS Sports. I mean like CBS. They will talk about Grayson Allen. Like, they, 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 they don't call me because Baylor's moving to number one in the AP poll. Nobody, nobody, like, outside of college basketball fans, people don't really – and Baylor fans, of course, they don't care about that. So the Grayson Allen story is actually great for college basketball because it it, it pushes college basketball, um, you know, into a, a, a conversation that it, it it otherwise might not be uh, in. And that's like a, a sports conversation – uh, during the NFL playoffs, you know, in the same weekend leading up to uh, the college football national championship game. So like I hope Grayson Allen has one of these things like every game. You know, somebody asked me earlier, so what are you looking for in the Florida State Duke game? I'm looking for Grayson Allen's legs to do something interesting because that that'll, that'll be the thing that gets people uh talking again. So I'm like forever uh like ex- I love this story uh, because it it's um it it's a it's a topic that that brings people in Uh, To a sport that they might otherwise uh, ignore, and one of the points I made in the column is, you know, for Grayson Allen, like it doesn't. We're we're past the point of what's right and wrong and what's fair and unfair. Like he created this by tripping one player after another after another. So when I was watching the game live, now I had three different games on, and you know, and was uh, you know uh, perusing Twitter. So I, you know, I'm not focused on any one thing, but I didn't notice it when it happened. But, but somebody did. And what that should tell him and, and, and that coaching staff at Duke is that somebody is watching everything that his lower extremities do. And, and so if, he's, if it's intentional, it's got to stop. That goes without saying. But to me, the interesting thing is what if it is unintentional? It's just something that happens. Because then, then he has to go out of his way to make sure it doesn't. And that's exactly what he has to do. If you have to consciously make yourself not do weird things with your legs that you've never actually thought about before your entire life, then that's just the way he's got to play basketball now. Because this is going to be something people are watching uh, every game he plays, every second he's on the court for the rest of the season, and frankly, uh, for the rest of his career. Every time his legs do something weird, it is going to be something that 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 people talk about. So this is just life for Grayson Allen. Like he, There's no changing it now. He's got to get used to it. And, uh because you know all eyes are on his legs if that makes sense and it's not an overstatement and if that Boston College player would have fallen down the other day whether Grayson did that on purpose or not it would not have mattered it would have led to a um a massive conversation about whether he needs another suspension needs to be pulled away from the court and it would have actually brought people into uh suggest that he should be removed from the Duke program after being suspended and then having another incident i don't know if any of that would have been fair but like i said Um, we're past the point of what's fair and and unfair like this is life for Grayson Allen it is kind of bizarre though
1: okay so aside from Allen if Allen's thing was the biggest story of the weekend in college basketball to you what is number two
0: um I I think it's Baylor um because you know beating Oklahoma uh, beating Oklahoma State in a game in which they trailed for much of it um you win that game. You go to fifteen to zero. You got seven top fifty-five Ken Palm wins. You got wins over Louisville, Xavier, Oregon. Um, it, it is it, that win is going to be the thing that allows them to move to uh, number one in the AP poll, to number one in the coaches poll. Just um, uh, to put a timestamp on this, it's eleven uh, fifteen Eastern right now um, on Monday when we're recording this. So the AP poll isn't out yet. But barring, I think the way I wrote it Saturday, barring stupidity or stubbornness. Uh, from AP voters, Baylor is going to be the number one team in the country and Baylor will be number one for the first time in school history. Now we don't need to recap the entire um, uh, you know, the past 20 years of Baylor basketball and everything that program's been through. We did that on the last podcast, but to go from where they were when Scott Drew inherited that program to, yeah, they've been to back-to-back elite eights, but being number one in the country, like that is, that's something. Um, you know, to, to 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 get to that point for the first time in school history is an amazing accomplishment, and I think um, further makes this sentence true: that Scott Drew, at the age of forty-six, is responsible for one of the greatest, if not the greatest. Uh, rebuilding jobs in the history of college basketball, and frankly, you could call it a building job as opposed to rebuilding. Because really, what was he ever rebuilding? You know, Baylor was was never a Big 12 power or a consistent winner, um, but it is now. Uh, m- maybe not a Big 12 power, like let's leave that label for Kansas, but certainly a, a consistent winner and worthy of the number one ranking they're going to have today. It's a special day for that school, a special day for that staff and those players. And to me, that's the biggest story from Saturday, that they won a game that allowed them to have this moment.
1: So I have a statement and a question off that. The statement is right now, uh, you know, Drew is the mid-season coach of the year. I think that is undisputed. We actually hit the mid-season midway point of the season in terms of games played in the regular season over the weekend. So right now, Drew would have to be your, uh, mid-season coach of the year, player of the year. I think I'd still go Josh Hart right now, um, but anyway, uh, the question is this, you have had the rare opportunity, but there have been opportunities because I know we've talked about this before, or texted about it, to poll attack our, our very tremendous, terrific friend, fan of the show, avid listener of the podcast, Seth Davis, who has Baylor fifth in his rankings, according to what he published on Twitter on Sunday night. There is no defending that, Seth, not, not, none whatsoever. We are well into conference season. Baylor's resume is the most accomplished in the country so even if you don't think Baylor is the best team in the country which is totally valid I wouldn't have any argument with that really the absolute worst you could put them at this point even if you thought that would be three maybe so he has fifth so my question to you GP is will you have the fortitude to step out there and not go after some random beat writer in West Virginia Texas New Mexico Will you go after Seth Davis and poll attack him I, on Monday? I don't
0: know if I'll go after uh, Seth Davis. I have done that before, though. I've, I've you had, have gone after Seth. Seth has been in the poll attacks before. I believe that's true. I think that's true. Maybe I'm making it up, but I think it's true. Um, I've gone after friends before um, uh, in the poll attacks. Um, here's the thing. Uh, first off, yes, I think I obviously think it's crazy. I've I've been uh, banging uh, Baylor's drum for a, for a long time now. But you want me, you want me to argue in favor of Seth? Like, if you were going to argue against Baylor being number one, I don't really know how you can get them down to five. I mean, I guess you could get really creative. But if you were going to argue against Baylor being number one, here's what you would say. You would say, they, yes, they beat Oregon, but Oregon was without Dylan Brooks. Yes, they beat Xavier, but Xavier wasn't playing well at the time and was also without Miles Davis. Um... And, and yes, they beat Louisville, but that was kind of crazy. They were down 22 with like 16 minutes to go and had this wild comeback. They get credit for it, sure. But, um, you know, if Louisville and Baylor would have played again, literally the next day, Louisville would have been favored uh, in that game. Um, true road games, they haven't beaten anybody of significance, I don't think. And beyond that, again, I'm, I'm arguing against, I'm playing devil's advocate here, if you were going to argue against Baylor. And beyond that, you know gary parish can rank on best resume if he wants to um but that doesn't mean i have to and i just simply don't think baylor's the best team in the country and i don't think a team that i don't believe is the best team in the country or anywhere close to the best team in the country ought to be ought to be ranked number one in the country period end of story that would be the way you argue against it and i could like nod along to most of that Uh, i disagree with it but like uh, why you know that's sort of the interesting thing about the poll attacks i can't um project my values onto other people like if you ever would just want to say hey yeah you can rank Baylor number one if you want to because yeah sure they have the number one resume I'm not arguing against that I just don't think they're the best teams I'm not ranking them number one number one should be the best team like we could go back and forth but we're never getting anywhere and you know like you're not going to get me to agree with you and 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 and, you know I'm not going to get you to agree with me so to I, I I the politics will probably have nothing to do with Baylor Because I think most people are going to rank them number one. Others, to the handful of people who aren't, they can simply stand firm on that point. I don't think Baylor's the best team in the country. You guys can rank them if you want to. I don't believe they're the best team in the country. And it's hard to... What I try to do with the poll attacks is find something that is... Where people ask me this sometimes. They say, do you ever hear from the people um, who you attack in that column every Monday? And usually... It's it goes one of two ways. Either they completely ignore it because they rather just not acknowledge it, or they say, "Yeah, you got me." You know, "Yeah, I messed that up," because I try to usually make it about something that you couldn't possibly defend. You know, you, like you could you could defend not having Baylor number one.
1: That, that, you but, defend having Baylor number five.
0: That, I that's the thing. Well, I I haven't I didn't see his his ballot yet, so I'd have I'll
1: to. I'm bringing it up right now. For right, you. Tell Hold me, on. okay, Let's, tell me. I'm gonna tell you right now. Let me just. I got to First of all, he tweets. Seth, I love you, but these 90 tweets after you post your poll on Sunday nights are just... Oh my goodness! I gotta find this thing. I'm gonna find it for you. I'm scrolling right now. This happened during the Golden Globes. Shout out to uh, the Golden Globes, although I didn't watch all of it, so I don't know if there's anything like tremendously great about. It. I know that you know what's her name? Meryl Streep made some made some headlines there. Yep. um Let's see. Okay, here it is. Okay. Kansas won which I buy. If you want to say Kansas you think is the best team, I buy that. I picked them in with the national title, whatever. Nova 2, they lose a tough road game against Butler. Okay. 3 UCLA, 4 Kentucky, 5 Baylor. Six, okay. Gonzaga. Okay,
0: here's a, here, if you wanted to argue, here's what the way you would argue. If I were going to argue in four-cess ballot, here's the way I would argue. And keep in mind, I disagree with all this, but here you go. Like if you if you said, "Hey, you're the attorney, you got to defend this." Here I go. Why Kansas ahead of Baylor? Because I think Kansas is the best team in the Big 12. You want to bet $5,000 right now? On who wins the Big 12? I'll take Kansas. You take Baylor. You feel good about sure. your bet? I'm taking – yes, Kansas lost an overtime game two months ago. If you want to hold that against them, you can. Uh, but I'm not, and I think Kansas is the best team in the country. All right, so that's that's easy. You can start there. What's next on this ballot? Uh, Villanova. Okay, you just say, uh, yes, Villanova does have a loss. But they've also won at Purdue. Wisconsin just showed how difficult that is. Um, they've won at Creighton. Um, nobody else has beaten Creighton this year. And so, sure, Baylor has more quality wins, but Baylor doesn't have road wins like that. And yeah, Villanova lost at Butler. They lost in Butler in the final minute. And here's the truth. If Baylor had to play at Butler, I think Baylor would lose at Butler. Baylor hasn't had to play that type of game yet, a road game against a team the caliber of Butler. And so... I'm not going to pay too much attention to Villanova's loss at Butler because I think Baylor would have lost that game too. All
1: right, third is UCLA.
0: Um, listen, UCLA is obviously more talented than Baylor. They've got two you know, uh, uh, possible lottery picks, three possible first-round picks, uh, and a senior guard in Bryce Offord, who is uh, playing the best basketball of his career. They've won at Rupp Arena. They've beaten the brakes off of basically everybody they've played. And the lone loss is a loss against a healthy Oregon team on the road at the buzzer because of a Dylan Brooks three-pointer. Yeah, I know uh, Baylor beat Oregon, but that happened in Waco and without Dylan Brooks. Here's the bottom line. Baylor hasn't played a road game against somebody like a healthy Oregon team. I think if Baylor would have had to play at Oregon, they would have also lost at Oregon. So I'm not going to hold that loss against UCLA as it relates to how I rank them against Baylor. UCLA
1: ahead of Baylor. Forrest, two lost Kentucky, which has one top 40 Ken Palm win versus Baylor's five top 40 Ken Palm wins. This
0: is where I think you start to get into a little – this is where it starts to get tough. Those first three, I did okay on those, right?
1: You did okay on those. Uh, on this one, you, I, could, I, I, you would have to really sell me on UCLA. Yeah, I don't excited. think I could sell you it because
0: it, it's it's um, because it you it starts with it starts with they lost a home game to UCLA, and you can say that Baylor would have lost a home game to UCLA as well, but Baylor hasn't lost any home games. Baylor hasn't lost any neutral court games. Baylor hasn't lost any road games. And Baylor also owns a win over the Louisville team that you couldn't beat. And I know that you you played them at the Yum Center, and that's different than playing them in uh, Battle for Atlantis. But whatever, like you you've lost a home game to UCLA, you've lost uh, at Louisville, and Baylor has beaten Louisville and beaten literally everybody else they play. I don't. I that's where I think you get in trouble. I could argue the first three. I, I don't think you can really argue Kentucky over Baylor unless you just went to this. Go look at Ken Pong, who's number one in the country, Kentucky. And, and so yeah,
1: it's fair, <laughs> uh, but if you use that same metric, uh, Baylor has a tougher schedule than Kentucky. So you have to allot for that. I also think that Seth might be playing this with anticipation because Baylor has to play at West Virginia on Tuesday. See,
0: that's and that's, If that were his rationale. Which is not
1: the right play in my opinion. You don't no, rank according to what you think is going to happen. in the upcoming And, and by the way, this is
0: exactly what's going to happen. Baylor is going to be ranked number one on Monday, and they're, they're going, going to lose at West Virginia on Tuesday. And everybody's going to say, shouldn't have been number one, which is stupid for two reasons. One, anything that happens after Monday morning has nothing to do with who should have been ranked where on Monday afternoon. And that nothing that happens after Sunday night, frankly, has anything to do with where AP voters should be ranking teams on, on Monday morning. Period. End of story. Secondly, yes, Baylor's going to be ranked number one in the country, and they're going to be an underdog at West Virginia, and they're going to probably lose at West Virginia. You you know who else would be an underdog at West Virginia?
1: Uh, Everyone in the country.
0: Everybody in the country. Every team in the country, Kentucky, UCLA, Villanova, would be an underdog at West Virginia tomorrow night. So when Baylor is an underdog— so would it, whoever you think's better than Baylor, they would also be an underdog at, at West Virginia. And they would also be statistically unlikely to win that game. And so you know, I, I actually talked to Scott Drew about this over the weekend because like, it, you know, it, you I was like, man, you know, like you, you would love to have a home game against Texas coming up on Tuesday. You know, uh, something where you could be number one. Your fans could come into the building, celebrate that. And then you get a win. And, and, and you get to enjoy the moment a little longer than you're going to get to probably enjoy the moment because the more likely scenario, uh, given the way the schedule unfolds is that you're going to be ranked number one. You're going to travel today to West Virginia, and then you're going to lose to, to Bob Huggins team tomorrow, at which point everybody thinks your, your, your top ranking, uh, your number one ranking was not uh, deserved, which again, I'm on the record here on Monday morning is wrong. Uh, Baylor deserves to be ranked number one on Monday, January 9th. No matter what happens on Tuesday, January 10th, they deserve to be ranked number one on Monday, January 9th. But just watch. When they lose tomorrow night, you're going to hear it from fans all over the country.
1: Yeah. No, see. Um, I... Well, I know, we got, I know we got to do a little uh, little bump in advertising here, but uh, I still there's a couple things I want to ask you about as well, but I didn't know where you wanted to go from here.
0: Well, so. let me tell you about SeatGeek first. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for the game of the concert or the show or whatever you want to attend. And the older ticket sites, they don't seem that interested in changing that and making it less confusing, but SeatGeek is different. They've created uh, an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for you to buy and sell tickets. It's the first place I go when I'm going to a game or a concert. It's the app that Matt Norlander uses when he's buying tickets to go anywhere. It's the app that you should use as well because uh, what SeatGeek does is it, it handles all the price comparison for you. It, search, it searches multiple uh, ticket sites and that way um, you're insured of getting the best possible deal. So download that app and then if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB that's college bb you're going to get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So again, download the SeatGeek app, purchase tickets, and then use the promo code college bb. That's college bb. And when you do that, SeatGeek is going to send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code, it's college bb. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. You asked me earlier, uh, what was the biggest story of the of the weekend in college basketball? And outside of Grayson Allen, and and I immediately went to to Baylor, and then we talked about everything we just talked about as it relates to Baylor. Um, second biggest story was it Kentucky beating the crap out of Arkansas or something else? Because Kentucky's now three and zero in the SEC, and they're winning their games by an average of thirty point three points. And it's not like they've played, um, you know, Missouri and. You know Mississippi State, you know, you know people can bag on the on the SEC if they want, and and I hear you, you know, it's it's not a very good basketball league at this moment. Um, But Texas A and M was, you know, either preseason top twenty five or top thirty, like they were right there. Arkansas's like not bad. Ole Miss isn't bad. I'm not trying to tell you any of these teams are top twenty five worthy, but they're not awful basketball teams. And and Kentucky's just beating the crap out of them. And I'm at the point where you know, I, I don't I don't think they're going to lose more than one game the rest of the year. Like I I, I think they're going to you know lose maybe one league game or maybe that game to Kansas at Rupp. Although, obviously Kentucky at Rupp, you'd be unwise to, to bet against them despite what UCLA did early this year. I just think I'm at the point now where it, it's it's a little reminiscent reminiscent of what John Calipari used to do to Conference USA. Um, he's just out recruited the whole league. He's on another level right now. And it looks like they're gonna run through this thing the way his Memphis teams used to run through Conference USA. Crazy as that sounds.
1: Did you write that kind of theme on Saturday? I I mentioned it. I I didn't. You know, I, I didn't. Spend, a column right there. Yeah, I didn't and spend a whole
0: lot of time on it. But he. I mean, that that's that's where this is going. Like if you go look at at Kentucky's uh, remaining schedule, they're not gonna be an underdog. I don't believe the rest of the year. Let me look at it right now. Kim Pom right, does not that, project that, them to that, be an underdog any dude, at any point. That, rest of the season.
1: So if you if you look at because I just brought it up as well, this is remarkable to me. There's not even a coin flip game. The closest game projected, and obviously it could be a stunner. Don't at, get me wrong. At but Florida, in terms of simulations, is at Florida, and that they're 59% to win that. Right. Bonkers. So here's my question for you, GP. Mm-hmm. Um, who are you taking? Because right now Gonzaga is 15 and 0. Right their closest game they only have one game they're projected to lose and that's at a legit saint mary's team because i think gonzaga has a closer competition to their number two team in their league than kentucky does in the sec but i obviously the sec is better than the wcc so who is more likely to run the table in their conference kentucky or gonzaga i think kentucky Wow. And here's why wow, because Gonzaga's already got three games under its belt. It has a shorter conference schedule. Right. And again, listen, BYU is not going to be a gimme either. So BYU and St. Mary's are the two true tough ones on the road. Um, But almost everything else, Gonzaga should, should run away with. I mean, they're so much better than the rest of the league. And yet you have a power conference team more likely to go undefeated in its league. That's just an awful indictment on the SEC. I
0: think um, – and you touched on it. I, I, the reason I would say that is because I think the gap between Gonzaga and St. Mary's is smaller than the gap between Kentucky and everybody else in the SEC. Like I don't think Gonzaga is as good as Kentucky, and I think uh, – like if I were going to rank those four teams, I'd probably rank them at this point Kentucky, Gonzaga – I don't know, maybe Florida and then St. Mary's? I guess, yeah, probably Florida and then St. Mary's. But I think the gap between Gonzaga and St. Mary's is smaller than the gap between Kentucky and Florida. And so I would assume that Gonzaga's at at a bigger risk at St. Mary's than Kentucky's going to be at anywhere. Does that make sense?
1: You know, that's what the model projects out right now. Um,
0: But it is true that Kentucky should have more challenging games
1: yes they should in, th- in, in theory, theory. They should. they're going to play more they're going to play more league games in general so they'll have more on the road and they should have tougher because they're going to face more teams that will at the very least be in the conversation to be in the at-large picture so even if the sec totally just craps out and only has four teams in the tournament the the wcc is only going to send two and then if you want to include byu in the at-large picture that's fair but it's it's three at most the sec would have Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina, Georgia is four, uh, Arkansas is five, Bama might be six. And Dan, uh, I mean, does it draw? Do Texas A&M is eight and six? Yeah. What is going on? That was the team projected to be number two in the league by many, if not Florida. It was certainly A&M as a top three team. Man, this is this is troubling. I mean, this is. You might be right. They might they might run this. I mean. Who knows? Maybe they have a way they, – they're not a great shooting team, so maybe they, they get really cold and Bam gets in foul trouble and they get caught at Florida or at Georgia because Georgia's got dudes. Um, but, yeah, I, I'll say right now Kentucky's a two-loss team. How about this? I'd be more comfortable saying that the, I think they're going to lose again. But three losses on Selection Sunday – that's. The, I I think that is. The, I think probably that's the number the most likely. That's the most likely outcome here over any other loss total.
0: Yeah, I, I think that I think they're going to be three losses on Selection Sunday uh, because you have to remember, like their conference tournament is so different than any other conference tournament in the sense that it's home games for them. You know, you there, no other college, no other SEC program, uh, even comes close to to buying up tickets to that SEC tournament the way Kentucky fans do, and so. I don't even know where it is this year, maybe Nashville. It was in Nashville a few years ago, the Carl Anthony Towns team, the team that was undefeated. And I went in there um, to do a Kentucky story in advance of the NCAA tournament. I just It was very quick. I think I was—I flew straight from New York to Nashville, and uh, I was just there for the championship game. But it was like, you know, if it's an 18,000-seat arena, it was like 17,000 Kentucky fans. I figured who they were playing, maybe Arkansas, maybe it was Bobby Portis and those guys. Uh, But it was just insane. Like it it felt like you're, like it feels like you're in Rupp Arena, which is essentially what Kentucky does to uh, every arena it 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 plays in, uh, whether it's uh, you know every neutral court arena it plays in. My point being, they're going to have home games, what what amounts to or feels like home games in the SEC tournament, and so I, I do think they'll get caught somewhere, whether it's at Georgia or at Florida. Obviously, Kansas could go in and beat them at Rupp. I, I wouldn't predict it, but it, it wouldn't be the craziest thing that has happened this season. And probably if it happened on, on that weekend, it, it wouldn't be the craziest thing that happened that weekend. So um, just give them one more loss somewhere, bad night, or either they just play a good team, or you know, Yontay Matan goes bananas in Athens. Whatever happens, happens. But three losses on Section Sunday is what I would project for Kentucky right now. And that's an automatic number one seed. I had somebody over the weekend saying, Um, Let's say if they lost to Kansas but won everything else, the point this person made was, yeah, they'd be thirty-one and three, but they would have losses to you know in, in their three best against their three best opponents, which would be in this scenario UCLA, Louisville, and Kansas. And I said, yes, that's true it would also still be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament and possibly the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament because uh, even if it went like that, like if it went exactly like that, they, their only other loss rest of the season was a home loss to Kansas, they would have just run through the entire SEC undefeated. They'd have a win over Michigan State. They'd have a win over North Carolina. And then, yeah, uh, uh, you know, multiple wins over Georgia, multiple wins over Florida, so on and so forth. That'd be plenty enough to get a number one seed.
1: Um I want to ask you about this next thing, GP, because I didn't see it. I watched the highlights last night. Uh this is better than AM over Northern Iowa. Uh, this Ooh. is it's also luckier. So dude, the highlights on this are insane. Nevada comes back, beats New Mexico, and I know like it's a random one off game in the Mountain West and the league isn't relevant whatsoever on a national level. But this is like, I'm, I, you know, I have intentions of doing a year-end best stories of twenty seventeen. This will this will make the list. This is ridiculous. It was also, whereas I feel that Northern Iowa losing to A and M in the tournament was like half comeback, half collapse. This was all comeback. Now I know New Mexico lost, you know, missed a couple of free throws, but the shots that New Mexico or that Nevada hit. Yeah are some of the dumbest, luckiest three-point shots I've ever seen in my entire life. Jordan Caroline goes for 45 points. So I know you wrote about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw it live or not. But no, it, it, this, I was, this I was way is, asleep. I was way asleep. Right. I think yeah, it so ended. I don't even know what time it happened. This thing is bonkers. This I, is the three-point. Dude, I've never, I've never, ever, 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 ever seen anything like this in basketball at any level whatsoever, just straight up coming down, jacking these awkward-looking three-pointers. Some of them are banking in. They hit the final one with, like, two seconds to go and OT to win it. I just I felt the podcast should give a little bit of time to this because this if this had happened in any major conference league I th- I feel like we would have started the podcast with it maybe maybe not with Grayson Allen but it um it's insane in Nevada for people that might not be aware I mean they've got Caroline is actually a pro, a pro prospect Cameron Oliver is probably their best player but Caroline's able to fill it up and that's a team that you could very well see in the tournament down the road
0: oh no Mus is Eric Musselman of course former NBA coach um has done an unbelievable job at Nevada like um. Nevada's going to have a hard time keeping him, um, be, be, because he's yeah, yeah. he's going to be a candidate for a high major job very very quickly because uh, they're recruiting at a high level there and obviously winning at a high level there and he's a respected basketball mind like I have known must for a, a long long time when he was out of coaching for very briefly um, he would he would he would work. Um, with the pump and run teams like he would work out players for them and that was sort of one of the uh, sales pitches that the the pump and run uh summer program of course run by david and, and dana pump um, you know like hey if, if your kid plays for us i mean like not that they need to pitch kid, like it's an unbelievable you know summer program um but like you know hey we got an nba coach who we'll work you out and so Mus would would and i happened to be out there one time when muss was out there And so we got together out in L.A. and, and, you know, we'd we'd sort of known each other, but but not really. And and we have kept in touch over the years, whether he was an assistant at at Arizona State or or LSU. And and then when he got the Nevada job, I I thought it was going to end up being a good hire because I, I had been around him enough to know that he's got a really sharp basketball mind and he's knocked it out of the park and. If it took what happened the other night to get people to pay attention, that yeah, Nevada just got an insane win, but like that's a that's a good team. Like I think they're three losses right now. They opened at St. Mary's and, and got murdered. Um, and must I don't know if you remember, but after that game, he was in the press conference. He was like, "This is my fault. I, we were not ready for this. I should not have scheduled this game. I I, I don't know why I scheduled this game because he used to live in that area, so he would be at St. Mary's all the time, just going to games. Like he spent a lot of time on that campus. He was like, I knew what I was getting into." I don't know why I did this, but since then they've only lost twice, and I think by a total of three points, maybe. Um, they, like you know, they, they, it's a good basketball team that could absolutely beat somebody in the NCAA tournament. So if it took what happened Saturday to get people to pay attention to that, the big picture that you know, Muss has got Nevada headed in the right direction, that's cool. But the actual like comeback. So I, w- I woke up uh, early Sunday morning, had a text message from a buddy. He was like, "Did you see what happened with Nevada, New Mexico last night?" I had no idea. But then I quickly go look at it, and the way it was initially like labeled was Nevada comes from 25 down uh, to to win um, in the second half. Well, that that actually sells it short. They were 25 down with like 11 minutes to go. They were 14 down with like 70 seconds to go, yeah. and banked in two three pointers at the end of regulation to force overtime they were down 5 in overtime comeback caroline hits the uh you know the the long another long three pointer at the end of overtime to to give them the 1 point win i mean it i think it was the eighth b- biggest comeback second half comeback in NCAA men's basketball history um jordan caroline's 45 points most points an opponents ever scored at the pit like it was a historic basketball game on on a variety uh, of levels i mean yeah and like you said you could you can watch every game for the rest of the season. You probably ain't going to see anything like that.
1: David Warlock, who's the chief uh, guy with uh, stats and communications, Double A, tweeted that uh, teams overcoming an 11- or 12-point deficit in the final 60 seconds. Uh, it's happened, I don't know if this is ever, or since you know at least 2005. Uh, Vegas did against San Diego State in 2005, then A&M in the tournament last year, Nevada versus New Mexico. And to the, uh, the Stony Brook friends who also listen yeah. to the program, they also had, it. Was, listen, the Nevada one was insane, but Stony Brook also had a humongous comeback and beat Albany. Uh, Jeff Bowles, former Ohio State assistant, first year there taking over that program. So, you know, they'll have some struggles this year, but that's like, he'll remember that, and the, those players will remember that forever. They won 72-70 and uh, rallied in a huge way. Jeff Eisenberg, our buddy at the Dagger, also has a story. I think he talked to Bowles. And Bulls, like, referenced the Nevada comeback right. in the huddle when they were coming back. So it's, uh, yeah, just, you know, I think those will probably go down as the two most unlikely comebacks the entire season because they were both humongous uh, for the deficits that were made up in such a short period of time. And they just happened to fall on the, uh, on the same exact weekend in hoops. Okay,
0: before we get out of here, uh, again, this is Monday, so there's no relevant college basketball games today or tonight. Uh, I mean, St. John's is playing Georgetown, but... It's,
1: it's just the, it's, it's the title game in football you know? yeah, yeah. But By the way,
0: Georgetown's at risk of falling To 0-5 in
1: the Big East uh, Dude, oh, dude, do you realize Do you realize the stat That, oh man, I don't know it off the top of my head GP. Well, but you got Georgetown very excited about not, not beating, knowing something Dude Georgetown has not beaten a Big East team Not named I think DePaul or St. John's In like 20 games or something Ridiculous It's bonkers So you said they played, they play St. John's. Yeah. So it's just I just I saw it last week, and I just I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Like, yeah, I mean,
0: um, yeah, I mean, I mean, and that's like one of the most prominent college basketball programs of my childhood, and really of my adult life. Like it's Georgetown. Like that's a program that yeah. matters. And
1: this is it. Yeah. Yeah. So the last time they beat the the last time they beat a Big East team that wasn't named St. John's or DePaul was Creighton in last January, and since then they beat St. John's in the regular season. They beat DePaul in the Big East tournament. That's it for last season, and now they've started Owen4 and, and they've got St. John's at home anyway yeah just it's, it's, it's wild and fans are sick of JT3, but the fact of them, no one in the business thinks that he is in any serious danger of, of losing that job this year unless like the bottom absolutely falls out just because his father is just there's a, there's a statue of his father in the practice facility. Yeah and no. he, Big John well, still carries a big
0: stick, Big John still carries a big stick yeah. around that campus..
1: Yeah. So anyway, just you know, a, yeah. a random. one. I would love to see Georgetown be better because I actually do like them when they're really, really good. I, I, I'm. They're one of those teams that I guess they were awesome when I grew up. So I, you know, Iverson and all that good stuff, Matumbo, uh, Alonso, and all that. But, uh, but yeah, tonight there's just it's right. just you know,
0: it's it's college football. Um, uh, so it's yeah. Alabama, Clemson. It's a good Tuesday, right? Yeah. Uh, but Tuesday is interesting. All right. So you get Baylor at West Virginia. You get Kentucky at Vanderbilt. So. Whatever, but it is a road game And Memorial is, is historically a tough place to play So, but but whatever Kentucky should be fine uh, Baylor at West Virginia We both think West Virginia is going to win? Yes Probably Xavier at Villanova You're not going to take the Musketeers in an upset?
1: That's a really good game um, No, I won't take Xavier Although they can do it But no, I will, I will not take Xavier that I'll team.
0: take the home team there Duke at Florida
1: State Okay, so this one's interesting because Florida State's been really good this year. And they're finally like this is the first time in a while that Florida State, which is not registering nationally, it won't unless it beats Duke. But Florida State's 15 and one. You wrote a story late last week about, you know, FSU is one of a handful of teams that has final four capability and talent and just simply isn't getting that kind of discussion. You're absolutely right. That changes if they can beat Duke at home. Sure. Uh, we are recording this podcast before we know the nature of Jefferson's injury. I'll and I don't think he'll play in the game, uh, but even if he does, I will take Florida state to win that game at home. And I, and I'll say a lot of that is the fact that they were able to like destroy Virginia tech, uh, which it was a home game for FSU, but they, they didn't, they, it wasn't close. They didn't mess around. Like right. they just took care of them. And the getting that road win against Virginia showed me something they've They've been good. So I will take Florida State to win this. Shefsky not being on the bench, I think, does have some, some impact there. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take FSU. Yeah,
0: I think Florida State at home. I, you know, It's a coin flip game. I think when the point spread is posted, you'll see either Duke's a one-point favorite or it's a pick or Florida State's a one-point favorite. I don't think it'll get much out of that. Neither team is going to be favored by more than a point and a half or two. It's a coin flip game. I would take Florida State at home. And then the other one that's interesting tomorrow night, Indiana at
1: Maryland. Take the Hoosiers on the road or no? You know what? I'm going to. I will take Indiana because they're in a desperate spot. Maryland is a team that's bizarre in terms of like it's 14-2. and two. I just brought up their Ken Palm page. They're 55, but Ken Palm is not like Maryland the past few years, oddly enough. um. Indiana kind of needs this win here. Uh, it's a big spot for them. I'll, I'll take the Hoosiers in maybe something of a little bit of a weird game, but I, I trust that their offense will be good enough to show up. Um, and, and so long as Trimble doesn't just go off, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Indiana's guards are able to play with him. But, yeah, why not? I mean, I don't want to be totally boring and pick all the home teams. I'll, I'll go with the Hoosiers there. That one, to me, I'm, I'm most intrigued by FSU Duke. But Indiana, Maryland, because if Indiana loses, I mean, then it's it's full blown panic. I mean, it, that'll be four losses in five games. I know they didn't have any issues with Illinois, uh, and it is a road game, but they'll be eleven and six. That's that's trouble. So yeah, I got the Hoosers.
0: Yeah, I think Indiana on the road. But again, coin flip game; it could obviously go uh, either direction. But Indiana on the road—it should be a fun Tuesday of college basketball. We will talk to you again. On Wednesday morning. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Uh, Thank you all uh, so much for listening. And like I said, we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then.